Welcome to the Rooftop Podcast, and I am excited today to have not only, in my opinion, one of the most prolific uh, counselors in the realm of trauma and high performance, uh, but also just a dear friend of mine. He and I have become really, really good friends, ironically through COVID, uh, is how <laughs> we even, I think it's how we met, but I'm, I'm so honored to have with me today Dr. Don Wood. Uh, and uh, let me just tell you a little bit about him. Gonna gonna share his bio with you, uh, Doctor Wood. In uh, he is the man behind the Inspired Performance Institute, and he developed the Inspired Performance Institute after he has spent years researching how trauma affects our minds and our lives. Um, Doctor Wood began to understand the events and experiences throughout our lifetime and how they continue to play a role in how we experience life in the present. Uh, he has also realized that there was a better way in how we treat the issue. And what Dr. Wood says is that teaching people to live with, manage, and cope with the daily stress doesn't fix the problem. And this is what I love about his approach, is that the solution comes from understanding uh, the source and providing a long-term permanent solution. And with that, I can't think of a better way to welcome my dear friend, Dr. Don Wood. Doc, thanks for being on the show. Well, thanks so much, Scott. I've been looking forward to this. I know we've planned this for a little while, so yeah. I yeah. just love the work that you're doing, and you know, I just love collaborating with you. So, yeah, this is and fantastic. You know, me too. And and you know, our focus, Doc, in in rooftop is is really on empowered human connection in times of low trust. And I certainly think we are in those times right now, and we need that more than ever. And you you have so many facets to offer to this conversation that I'm, I'm kind of reeling on how I want to come at this. But I think I'd like to start with, um, tell us about the Inspired Performance Institute and, and what you do. Like, Because I think that's a great place to start to kind of get our head around um, what you're going to bring to this conversation. Yeah, it really started because um, of the way my wife, when I met my wife, I realized that she had been living in a very traumatic household very different than the world I grew up in. Right. I grew up in this beautiful, loving, nurturing environment. So my nervous system was always regulated, even as a child. So that early training to regulate your nervous system was impacting my entire life. So school was easy for me. Athletics was pretty easy for me. Things just sort of flowed. And I assumed everybody lived like that. Right. You know, as I've talked about with you, Scott, I just assumed that everybody had my parents. And, right. uh, but they didn't. And so a lot of my friends were living with this, the same problems that my wife, you know, had been dealing with, with a very angry, disturbed father who was just reigning terror throughout that household. So my wife was living in fear all the time. And I thought, okay, when we got married very young at 19, because I had a chance to play professional hockey in Sweden. And so because of that, um, I thought, okay, when she comes to live with me, it's all going to settle down, right? Because now she's going to be living in the world I grew up in and her nervous system. I didn't think about it in those terms there, but I just thought she's now going to be living in a peaceful environment. So yeah. she should settle down and she couldn't. And, mm. you know, I talked about, you know, I couldn't understand why she couldn't be enjoying this life. You know, she had husband who loved her, three beautiful children, we had success, everything going our way. And yet she was still living with, you know, this nervous, when's it going to end? Something's going to go wrong. And so no matter what I tried to convince her that everything was good, she just couldn't enjoy that and appreciate it. And there was nothing wrong with her. 
it's exactly the way her mind had developed as a child because even when dad was okay for a while, it could just snap and change in an instant. So that's what she was waiting for. When's this good time going to stop? Something's going to go wrong. Right. And then when my daughter was 14, she was diagnosed with Crohn's. And that's what really started leading me. My wife sort of said, we need to find answers. Uh, my wife actually, my daughter actually had another disorder. I, I never usually talk too much about. Um, she had another autoimmune disorder where when she was up in uh, Canada, she got rushed to the hospital and was in ICU for three weeks. Her lungs just started bleeding. Hmm. And they came back with the only thing they did every test. And they said, the only thing we can come up with is that this is idiopathic pulmonary hemosiderosis, oh my goodness. which is a lung disorder where the autoimmune system basically just uh, bleeds out. It just flushes oh. the blood from the lungs. And they said, if she doesn't get to a hospital within 15 minutes, she'll die. So they said, we suggest you live close to a hospital. And again, it's another autoimmune issue. And anyway, to that sort of really made, we were going to lose our daughter. That's what my wife said, if we don't find an answer. And that's what really started me pushing to try to find some answers for her. And that's where I made the connection between trauma. My wife had trauma, she had trauma, and so many people I knew who were having health issues had been experiencing trauma. So well, what I... Me, talk to me about trauma. Give me a, <clears throat> what, what's, what's the working definition of trauma that we should use, Doc, that, would, that, you, that you love and, and, and that, that identified this issue to you? Well, I, I talk about a couple different things. There's big T trauma, which is the obvious things, right? Okay. So both my wife and daughter had experienced, you know, abuse, sexual, physical, emotional abuse that that we weren't aware of with my daughter, right? That came okay. about when she was very young that we had no idea had happened to her. My wife, we sort of obviously knew what had happened to her. So those are those big T traumas. But I also, um, I coined a term called emotional concussions, which mm. are not the big T traumas, but are the bumps that you get along the way, you know, where you're just, a coach says something to you, a parent says something, sometimes unintentionally say things to you that will be having an effect. It's like a concussion, but it's an emotional concussion. Those accumulate just like a physical concussion can. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, I think people uh, don't necessarily recognize that emotional pain, emotional damage, because we are emotional creatures, it's a real thing. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And so those kinds of things can build up. And you can, and the reason I did that is because I've met people who have said, you know, well, I haven't had anything, you know, like these veterans right. have gone through. I don't have right. that, you know, no big trauma. And yet they'll, when they start talking about some of these experiences as children, they can cry. Yep. Like, why are they crying? Well, because it still has an effect on them. Yeah. You know, right. I, I had a lady who said, oh, I've never had any trauma yet. I said, can you come up with an event that you can remember that, you know, when you think about it, you feel an emotion. And she said, and she really had to search. And she came up and she said, well, when I was six, I was in church and uh, I was talking. I was a typical six-year-old child. And, and I could start to see the tears forming in her eyes. And then she says, and I was talking. And my grandmother took the hairbrush out of her purse and hit me on the head and said, stop talking. You're in church. <laughs> and then the tears started flowing. And she says to me, she goes, I just realized I lost my voice that day. Oh, wow. I never stick up for myself. I let people push me around all the time. And that event, now, did her grandmother try to do that? Was she really trying to hurt her? No. Right? But a six-year-old doesn't understand 
why that happened. So they right. attach a meaning to it. Nobody wants to hear me. Right. And so she said, I stopped talking. Yeah. I, Those yeah. emotional concussions, right, can add up. Now, she never would have connected that. And she never would have, she had trouble even remembering it, but it was still was looping. Now, yep. I, I love that emotional con- I love I love the way you introduce new language for us to get our head around this. And and you said something really important, and, and we're still moving toward the, the founding of uh, Inspire Performance Institute. But something you said was we ass- she assigned meaning to it. And, and that's mm-hmm. another thing. You know, I've got the iceberg behind me here. Yep. Uh, and, you know, we are meaning-seeking creatures at our core. Like, that's yes. how we navigate the world. And so when we assign meaning... To even a you know a semi-conscious or unconscious memory, it's still meaning and it's still powerful. Very powerful, and and those meanings are also exaggerated by the logical, reasonable part of our mind that starts trying to analyze everything. Yeah, the world's not a safe place, right? I'm not safe. Yeah, you know that's why you'll see a lot of times you know if a woman has had a sexual assault at some point in her life, all of a sudden she puts on a lot of weight, right? Because in her mind, what her mind is believing is that if I'm attractive, right, I attract this. Hmm. And so wow. she'll try to be undesirable, right? And not, she's not deliberately, it's not a conscious effort, but in her mind, it's like, I'm safe if I become unattractive. So wow. they stop taking care of themselves, stop looking after themselves. Okay. All unconscious. So, so you continued, uh, like you, you decided that you wanted to find a different pathway for your daughter and to, to address the health issues. You were convinced that trauma was at the heart of it. How did that end up working out with your daughter and your wife? Well, I started doing a tremendous amount of research, and it was obvious to me that the only solution that she was given, including my wife, was you need to live to learn and manage and cope with this. Uh-huh. Right, And I was like, but that's not fixing the problem. It's like going to the dentist with a toothache and they just numb it up and then tell you to go home and read the pamphlet on how to live with toothaches. Right, right? You'd go to a new dentist. So that was the only solution. So it was either medication, right, or just continuing to learn coping skills. Yeah. And so what I discovered through the research is that it's a glitch. It's actually an error message. That iceberg on, right behind you is the perfect, that's the subconscious mind. Your subconscious mind is fully present all the time. So everything for your subconscious is happening now and below your conscious awareness. So all of this stuff is being, your everything physiologically is being, being taken care of. You don't have to think about heart rate, digestion, any of those kinds of things, all being right. done. And because it's fully present, here's where the glitch is coming in. When we store tremendous amount, only humans do this. We store tremendous details about events and experiences in our life. So that memory that has been stored, when something activates your mind to start searching memory from five years ago or 10 years ago, when it looks at that data, when does it actually think it's happening? Right now. So it creates a physiological change in you, right, to protect you about a threat that doesn't exist. Because it thinks it does exist. And that's why, so when I say whenever you have an emotion, the purpose of an emotion is a call for an action. The purpose of fear is to escape a threat and the purpose of anger is to attack a threat. However, if you think about something that happened five years ago and your heart starts racing, the reason that's happening is because your mind's seeing it in real time. 
So you brought this approach to trauma uh, to your daughter. And yes. of course, they were trying surgeries and over-medicating. And what was the result? So she had four resections done where they actually went in and had to cut out pieces of her intestines. Um, and she had suffered many, many, like in the hospital constantly, go, go down to 90 pounds. What I said is that when we resolve the trauma, we take them through this program, which is what I developed. When it becomes resolved, the inflammation goes down, the neurotransmitters come back online, and the immune system come back online. Ever since my daughter's gone through the program, she hasn't had a Crohn's flare-up. She's had none of the lung issues. And the only thing that she did, and they just had her on a steady dose of steroids, medications, painkillers, I mean, everything you could imagine. That poor child really suffered for many, many years. Now, no longer on any medication, no Crohn's flare-ups, and no lung issues. Yeah, and I think that's good news for, obviously, for your daughter. I think your, your wife had similar success. Yes, so she's living in peace now. She can enjoy life. She's not getting activated by those old things. For, for example, if I said, no, I don't like something, and she could look at me and start to tear up and say, well, why are you upset with me? And then I just go, honey, I'm not upset at all. Well, what makes you think I'm upset? What I didn't realize at the time was that when I would say, no, I don't like that, if she sensed the tiniest little bit of tension in my voice, she as a child had learned to listen very carefully to her father. So what her mind would do is a Google search. What do we know about men that start to get angry like that? Even though I had no, you could have paid me, I couldn't have heard it. Anybody who's had trauma as a child are highly sensitive to sound. So what she would hear would be totally different than what I heard. Right. And she wasn't wrong and I wasn't wrong. But her nervous system would get activated because her mind would say, when men start to do that, I'm in danger. Because the brain's a pattern-matching organ, right? Like that's yep. how it makes sense of things. Codes. It builds codes. And if you've experienced something for a long time, just like your computer, it's going to build a code on how to find the solution to that problem. So let's pivot into um, a, a world that, that I understand and know pretty well, and I know you do too, but is the world of, um, of, of military service and trauma. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I experienced some degree of it myself, nowhere near what uh, a lot of my peers experienced, but, but enough that it, it affected my life. Um, talk to me about, you, you know, po what post-traumatic stress and the impact of trauma on our warriors and what what's going on there when a warrior comes home, say from Iraq and had, you know, um, a lot of combat exposure in Fallujah, uh, experienced trauma. What's, what's happening? Uh, that warrior comes home. It finds, um, uh, himself, you know, uh, almost like on the outside looking in at the society that he left to protect and, um, really struggling to reconnect with, with society. What's happening mm -hmm. there? Well, I, I love what you say as well. It's post-traumatic stress, not disorder, right? Because disorder sounds like there's something wrong with them. Right. There's nothing wrong with them. What's happened is, is that they've had these experiences that have been very, very disturbing. So, And what's going on for them is that their mind continues, just like my wife, to get activated at looking at old information. So a sound, a smell, a voice right? And then that Google search starts. So, you know, if, for example, a veteran who's coming home who's experienced combat and all of a sudden a car backfires down the street, 
their mind says, what do we know about that noise? What does it sound like? Goes into memory, starts looking at all the data from what happened to them, right, in Fallujah or wherever they were, and then starts reviewing it. And then when does it think it's actually happening? Right now. So consciously, that doesn't make any sense because you'll be saying, like, why are they, why are they panicking? Why are they having this issue? It's because the mind is actually reliving it. Hollywood has made trillions of dollars from this. They can convince us in a movie theater that something's happening on the screen. We can go to a movie and get scared. We can go to a movie and cry. Right? Yeah. Why? Because the brain doesn't know the difference between what that data that it's looking at on the screen and reality. It looks and, real. Yeah, and this gets into the you know where I think once again our worlds come together in so many places. But yep. um, as I think about what you're saying, you know, um, Ivan Terrell in the book The Human Givens, he talks about how the brain is not only a pattern matching organ, but it does so in metaphor. And you know, uh, we think in story, don't we? I mean, we navigate the world as story animals. Absolutely. Yep. That's why I love what you do in talking about all those stories because the subconscious mind is survival based. It's still dealing with a lot of its primitive instincts from a thousand years ago. And when you think about a thousand years ago, how did tribal leaders teach? They'd bring the tribe around, they'd tell stories that had symbols and metaphors in it. You know, sit down with a child and say, let me tell you a story. And you, you watch their head tilt, right? Because subconsciously, that's how they learn. Yeah, and they you know, learn really well. I learned something. I was reading the book, uh, The Master and His Emissary uh, by Ian McGilchrist. And he was saying that the uh, Latin word, I bet Wes didn't even know this sitting over here. The Latin word for uh, hearth or focus is hearth. It's, oh, it's, the hearth, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and uh, it's all about the fire. You know, yep. so so the focus is you know because that's what we sat around and that's what we we use to connect and 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 learn. But it's just it's fascinating to me that the brain uh, operates through narrative, like it it makes sense of the world through story. And uh, in many cases, that's what's happening here, right? Is this is an old neural story map that is representing itself in uh, in a triggered moment, maybe. So what it's saying is, what do we know about that sound? What do we know about that smell? What do we know about this environment that we're currently in? Does it look like, sound like, smell like something we've experienced before? Then it goes into this tremendous storage tank of information and starts reviewing film. It's like looking at game film. And yeah. as it's reviewing that game film, it's actually responding to it as if it's happening. So talk to me about this glitch, because you said this is a glitch. It's an error message. So I think this is critical for anyone watching this who um, is probably starting to lean in and resonate with what you're saying. So uh, maybe talk a little bit about maybe some of the symptoms that come with trauma and, and how it can show up. And then, and then maybe pivot, if you don't mind, Doc, into this glitch. What is this error message you're talking about? Yeah, so what's actually happening is... When we have traumatic events and experiences in our life, only humans store that data. Animals do not store information about events and experiences. So people will say, well, how does an animal learn? Well, we have two memory systems. We have this explicit memory that we store all the details about. And then we have also the memory that animals have, which is the repetitive associative memory. 
Animals learn through repetition and associations. They don't store the detail about getting fed yesterday, but if you feed them every day, they eventually start to associate you with safety and love, right? And food. But they don't know. That's why you can feed a dog the same thing every day because he doesn't remember eating that yesterday. Humans have that memory system. That's where we build our codes or patterns, right? That have happened over a period of time. And the mind does that because it's trying to protect you. So if you've experienced something, it wants to respond quicker. So it's going to build an association with that sound or that name or whatever that situation is. So it can respond quicker to keep you safe. I always talk about that, that the mind's always working on survival. And this is thousands mind. and thousands and thousands of years of cellular wiring at play here, right? This isn't like. No, you couldn't. Yeah. It's not something that just happened. So because of the life you've experienced, and that's why I always say to everybody, there's nothing wrong with anybody. There's nothing wrong with anybody's mind. It's just being infected by these events and experiences that are interfering with your ability to stay present and in the moment. Animals are fully present in the moment all the time. I often say a zebra cannot feel fear of a lion unless there's a lion present. Zebras aren't sitting around thinking about lions. Zebras can't imagine what a lion would look like. But when a lion shows up, it's built the association and repetition, the code, right, from thousands of years that it knows that a lion is not safe. So I want to and come back to this presence thing because I think that's really huge for human connection. But, but uh, stay on that path you're on. And, and, and help me understand what is, it, what is it that's happening with trauma that prevents us from being present? Because if the mind is feeling a threat, it's going to be responding to the threat about something that happened years ago. Mm-hmm. That's you. not present. That's going to drain energy. So it's like opening up a new computer program on your computer. So now your computer is not working on the current program. It's working on an old program. And it's calling for an action that is simply not appropriate because it's not actually real. It's not even possible. Yeah. So, so I worked with a U.S. Army sniper. I think I told you that story who had to shoot and kill a 12-year-old boy. And he just broke down. He said, I can't talk about this anymore. I've been dealing with it for eight years. I got arrested at the VA. He says, last week, because I started throwing tables and chairs. He says, ask me to talk about it. And I said, well, here's the good news. I'm not going to ask you to talk about it. We're going to fix it. It's a glitch. By the time we were finished, he could describe that entire event without shaking and crying and said, how the bleep, I won't say that word, how the bleep did you do that? And I says, I didn't do anything. I says, for eight years, your mind has been trying to get you not to pull the trigger. That's the action it's been calling for because that would solve the problem. But it's not possible. But his mind never knew that until we got that update done. And the, way, and the way I explain it is, when we have a traumatic event, we go into a very high beta brainwave state. So the mind is cycling at about 15 to 30 hertz in beta. So the more active it is, the more data it takes in. So if you've got it, so these soldiers are, are in battle, they're at a very high beta state, probably operating close to 30 hertz. That's taking in tremendous amounts of detail then that memory is stored in that state. So if they go in for traditional therapy and they come in to start talking about 
what state is the mind going to be in while they're talking about this beta memory? Right. They're going to be in beta. There's no counter to it. So what I do through our four-hour program is I get the mind to a state into an alpha brainwave state where it's super relaxed, super focused, and we bring in that event for maybe a minute or two. Because it's in that very relaxed, calm state, that's the restorative state. They have not been able to get into that restorative mindset to readdress that and reprocess that data. Once we do that, it then processes it into an alpha brainwave state, and then the next time it looks at it, it doesn't see the intensity. It's nowhere near as intense. So it's resetting it. And you've done this, I mean, across the board, right? I mean, thousands of times. You've done it with me. So, I mean, I... I uh, and members of my family, but particularly, I'm just I can speak for myself in my experience with combat. I mean, it was extremely effective. Um, wh- what have you seen in other industries, uh, other 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 disciplines, other walks of life? What's been some of your encounters with with this approach? Well, it's been really interesting. That's why we call this a performance program, not trauma yeah. therapy, right? Because when we resolve that trauma, performance increases. So for executives, CEOs, even the most high-performing people in the world, right, are being affected by this. That stops their ability to reach their highest level of performance. So I've worked with athletes. I worked with um, a a great example. Here's a guy who had tremendous trauma, Marco Cicetto. Marco lost both his legs. He's a marathon runner, and he lost both his legs to frostbite from a suicide attempt. And so he wanted to learn how to to walk, had to learn how to walk again on prosthetics, and then he wanted to start running. So they made him blades. So he started running on these blades, and they called me up and they said, we really think this guy's an Olympic hopeful, but he's plateaued. So we think it's in his mind now. So physically, he's got all the training that he's needing, but he's not performing at that next level. So Marco comes in to see me nine days later, runs in a marathon, and takes 15 seconds per mile off his time. Wow. Now, that's huge at the level he's running at. Right. And, and then this is in 2019. Then a few weeks later, runs in the Boston Marathon and breaks a world record, who is now the world record holder for amputees. I didn't make Marco a better runner. Marco always had that ability. But some of the energy that he needed to stay present was not available. And I love the way he explained it. He said, when I used to run before this program, I'd be, he knew that when he hit the 20-mile mark, is when his performance levels would drop. So he was anticipating that. So he said, when I used to run, I'd go, you know, I got 10 miles to go. I got five miles to go. He says, and what he found himself doing is saying, oh, I'm at the 10-mile marker. I'm at the 15-mile marker. Now, that sounds subtle, but in actual fact, what it was doing is he was staying in the moment. He wasn't worried about, you know, he was just running, and all that power was available. So that's something I want to get. So we're going to bring it back to um, the fascinating approach that you do with the trauma treatment. But but what I love, love, love about what you do is you don't stop there. You go into performance. And, and you and I talk about high performance all the time. It's something we're both passionate about. Um, but this, this notion of presence. So I, I'm going to riff for a second. Like at Rooftop, you know, we teach, I teach the high stakes engagement process. So I believe that if you're going to move people, inspire people, lead people, um, you know, how you engage, where you put your energy, where you put your focus, your attention is everything. And the three primary things that I teach 
are narrative competence or storytelling, life and death listening, and and attunement or being present. You know, attuning to, uh, attending to the other party and being present in that moment. And and you know, uh, as I learned acting, as I learned uh, speaking, all the things that I'm doing now. Man, it's so critical, but yet we don't really train on it. We don't really talk about it. And if you do, it's only in certain disciplines like acting or singing. And that seems like a real shame to me because you're sitting here saying that the ability to be present is literally at the epicenter of performance. So, like, I want to get into that. You know, what can we learn about that, Doc? And, 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 and what are we not doing that we should be doing when it comes to being present? Well, we're naturally present. We're just like the animal brain. So 95% of your mind operates the same as an animal brain is fully present. So it's the way we're supposed to be living. It's a natural state for us. What's taking us out of that state is the mind then starts looking at old data. Yeah. And so then you can't be there and here at the same time. Right. That's what stops you from being present. Yeah. So your mind is working on an event from 10 years ago. That takes so it's present 10 years ago, but it's not present now because it's dealing yeah. with a threat. And 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 uh Adam Ghazali in his book The Distracted Mind, I I love his subtitle is he says, you know, he talks about ancient brains in a high-tech world. And and like you just said, you know, the brain and the body, they know what to do. Like they know they know what to do. They have a true north. They find it, but yet that 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 brain of ours can, particularly that left hemisphere, can can go to town. It seems like and 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 actually create goal interruption, uh, yep. and, and take us out of the present. So, um, and not because it's trying to hurt you. It's actually right. trying to protect you. Right. Because it thinks there's a threat. So it's going to this memory because something activated it to look at it. Now it does that. Um, I don't know if you remember when I talked about the time slice theory. This is what really defined it for me. The time slice theory was developed by two scientists out of the University of Zurich that asked the question, is consciousness streaming? And most people would say, yes, it feels like this is against a continuous flow of information. However, it's not. The subconscious part of your mind, it is fully present and it is streaming. And what it's doing is actually, because your conscious mind, this logical, reasonable, intellectual part of our mind, is brilliant, but it cannot attend to the amount of detail yeah. that the subconscious can. The subconscious can multitask like crazy. Your conscious mind can wander. So you cannot leave survival up to the part of the brain that could wander. It's too important. Yeah. So that subconscious, right, is taking in all the data, processing it, and then sending time slices. They look like clips from a movie reel. It sends that to your conscious mind. Only limited detail. Now, what's happening is there's a 400 millionth of a second gap in between your subconscious seeing it, processing it, and sending it. Now, that's still pretty fast. But that's when I, when I read that and I researched that, I said, that explains it. In that 400 millionth of a second, it's doing a Google search. What do we know about this information that we're experiencing right now? And then it goes in and does its research and says, oh, this is like what we experienced in Fallujah, right? It sounds like, looks like it. And then it starts looking at that movie 
that takes it out of being present. Now it's present in Fallujah dealing with that threat because there's no threat in the present. The threat is in the movie. So it's all about the work we've got to do to get present, right? It's all about what we've got to do to be present. So let me ask you this. Let's pivot then, if we could, into this last year and a half, at least at the filming of this, it's been a year and a half, of COVID, where Mm -hmm. there has been persistent fear. uh, There has been tremendous uncertainty and certainly a level of isolation that, frankly, I don't think any of us fully understand the impact of. You and I have talked about this. Like, I really worry about it. Um, We're seeing, Doc, the latest reports I've been looking at, uh, 3x increase, three times higher uh, anxiety rates in uh, adults. We're seeing, uh, I just read a report yesterday, uh, 50% increase in teenage girls uh, attempting suicide. Um, we're seeing 50% of the workforce that says, I'm leaving my job this year. What the hell is going on? with this pandemic and the effect that it's had on our environment, our mental health, and being present? I, I actually think that it's just the tip of the iceberg. I think we're coming up to a tsunami of mental health issues. And here's why. I think we've got fight, flight, but we also have a freeze response. You have fight yeah. or flight. So you see a lot of people who are dealing with the fight or flight. But I think a lot of people are in freeze. Mm. You talk mm. to people and they'll say, uh, I'm just putting on the mask. I'm just going along with the, you know, I'm going to do what they tell me. This is going to be over soon. Right. They're just waiting for it to end. That's that freeze mode. What? Right. When they come out of freeze. That's when you're going to see that's. And I think the majority of people have been in freeze. That's why you're seeing people now on, on airplanes. You've heard about the increase in people oh. like fighting on planes. Yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy. And, you know, I, another one I've seen, uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, maybe some of you watching this, have you noticed, like, a massive increase in reckless driving? Mm-hmm. Um, the way people are driving in suburbs and the way they'll just pull out. It's, I saw a report uh, that in one area in Minnesota, they've seen an, uh, 127% increase in reckless driving in suburbs. And a lot of it they're attributing, they're starting to attribute it to just, like you're talking about, this pent-up, uh, exodus from that freeze mindset of, of prolonged isolation. Yep. And that freeze mode is actually a very um, survival-based technique, right? So animals use that all the time. So they'll freeze because if the lion is looking for movement and they freeze, the lion's not going to pick up that zebra that's not moving, right? So let me ask you this then. Is it safe to assume that some of what we're seeing uh, just based on your expertise uh, in, in terms of like people not making a move either way. It's like, well, you know, I think I'm just going to wait and see what happens. I'm going to use an abundance of caution. And I'm just going to stay put. Is that what, what we're talking that's, about? Here? That's freeze. You know, I, I heard it was a f- couple of years ago and, and people couldn't understand this. It made no sense about a woman who was on a plane and she fell asleep and she woke up and the guy was sexually assaulting her and she did nothing. She just froze. And then afterwards, then starts talking about it. And people are like, well, that's ridiculous. Like, that couldn't have happened because, you know, she's on a plane. She could have screamed, right? She couldn't. That was a response that she had learned probably at some point in her life, maybe as a child, right? right. Get it over with, right? This is going to end soon, right? Don't, don't, could have been somebody more powerful than her that she was afraid of. 
all those kinds of freeze is a response. And I think that's the response we're seeing because look at what the government's telling you. You better be a good boy or girl and you better put on your mask and you better do this and you better get a vaccine. And people are just going along, but people are going to come out of this and going, Hey, I don't like this. I, I am not happy that I have been, you know, taken advantage of or manipulated or whatever it is they feel like. I lost my job. I lost my home. Right. All the things that could have happened to them. Right. And and so what what as what as leaders, whether we are small business owners, um, nonprofit leaders, we work in the corporate world, whether we come down on mask or no mask, whatever, but Republican, Democrat, what should we be expecting as leaders as we reemerge from this very prolonged, isolated period? Um, what are some of the challenges we're going to run into with mental health, particularly in the realm of emotional concussions? Well, I, th I think the biggest thing, and this is what I always talk about, the number one fear for the human mind is uncertainty. That's his biggest fear. And what did COVID produce? Nothing but. All uncertainty. There's no answers. They don't know whether the vaccine's going to work before the vaccine was out. They don't know whether or not the masks are going to work or not. So people are asked to do all these things that were uncertain, and that's what is driving this. So I think what we the most important thing to do as leaders is to start helping people understand why everybody was doing the certain things that they were doing, why these things were happening, because uncertainty is natural in this situation because we've never experienced it. And I think to that degree too, Doc, I think, I think you're absolutely right. And when I think about uncertainty, you know, I, I, I think about um, how we show up, right? So I, I look around at leaders today and I, you know, I've been working with corporate leaders all day and they look very uncertain to me. Yes. To be honest with you, they look very uncertain. They look very transactional. They, they look, they either look fatigued uh, burned out or or just um, uh, very top down, kind of like let's get this done, kind of put out. And I, I'm thinking if I'm coming out of this thing and I'm a junior associate or I'm a sales representative and I'm not really sure what the hell to do next, and someone comes at me that way, that doesn't give me a lot of certainty. I want to see someone who's grounded, who's present, who is connected to their breath and just in the moment. Yes. Well, it was funny. I was just talking different kind of situation, but we were just talking about my, my oldest son, him and his wife are having a baby and we were talking right. about yeah, it. And there was another guy there that was, yeah, having a baby as well. And he was talking about that. And I remembered when my daughter was born, she, they didn't realize that they were trying to get an epidural in her. They couldn't get the epidural in her. And then the doctor, I saw fear. And when I saw that fear, what happened is we didn't realize my daughter was coming down neck first breach. And he didn't know what to do. And I knew he didn't know what to do. Right. Oh. And that was not good. No. And, no. And and no. so anyway, then I just started saying to him, You need to get somebody in here who knows what to do. And he's go, I've called them, I've called them. And I said, Where are they? He says, I'm I'm waiting for them to come. He didn't know how to do this. They had to use the forceps to to turn her, push her back. And they kept telling my wife, Don't push, don't push. And she wants to push. One of the things about being present not being present is uh, my friend Bo Easton says, is you look like you don't trust yourself Yep. And, and you just nailed it. And when you look like you don't trust yourself, I don't care if you're a soldier, a Marine, uh, a doctor uh, or a or corporate leader and yep. no one's coming. No one's following when you look like you don't trust yourself. Yep. 
And that's uh, going to produce that fear because they now feel uncertain. Yeah. As leaders, we provide certainty. That's why leaders are so important. Yeah. And I, I, it's one of the main things I wanted to establish on this podcast, Doc. And I really appreciate you because we had to go some distance to get to this. And I, and I really appreciate you helping me get here because I want to just make this point for anybody watching it is that, you know, certainty and you heard doc talk about it as we come out of this thing, uh, establishing a level of certainty, psychological safety, trust. It ha it has a lot to do with, with how you show up. Um, and I'll bring it back to you, doc, which is they, these are, you know, all of us have been scuffed up in one way or another with, even if, if you didn't get sick, you maybe you your business got hurt or you lost your business or you know just having your kids at home in an 800 square foot flat in Manhattan like that's an emotional concussion too. It is. Um, what can we take away? What advice would you give someone watching this who has been through a year and a half of this pandemic? They it's been it's been very trying. Uh, maybe they've been in a leadership position all the way through and as a parent, as in an organization, and they're just burned out. They're smoked. And they're wondering, how in the world am I going to step into this next arena and get this done? What would you tell them? What, what, what are some things to be thinking about to lead themselves and lead the people um, around them? Well, what they certainly need to start doing is making plans. Like start to think about what kind of movement, because when people are depressed, they're not moving. That's they're right. sort of, they're frozen. And so the meaning are inextricably linked. Yes. Yep. And so if you, and make it small decisions, it doesn't have to be big stuff. Yeah. Right? Make decisions on what you're going to be doing. Start with some small stuff that are easy to tackle, right? And then address to the bigger things. Because once you start moving, it becomes easier to tackle the bigger issues. So just get out of staying still and doing nothing. And like I said, they could be very, very simple things that you could make some decisions on. Um, and even, you know, if it's a family situation, talk about it with your spouse, talk about it with your kids, right? What would we like to see? So as we're coming out of this, how would you like to, what would you like to be doing? What can we do to make everybody feel better? Right. And that could be simple things. Yeah. But no, just start really making easy. some some movement. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I say in this environment that we're in right now, Doc, stasis is for amateurs. Yes. Uh, it is not healthy to be super like free, freeze is not. We can't freeze anymore. No, no. And and if you have been in freeze, don't beat yourself up. That's a natural response, right? Because there weren't any answers. There was no certainty. But now start looking for things that you can become certain about. Yeah. So if that is changing a job, that's a big one, right? But that could be there could be other things that you could be doing as well, which is just I'm going to start exercising. I'm yeah. going to start doing some things. I'm going to start reading a couple more books. I'm going to make a commitment to read one new book a month or something like that. Those are the kinds of things that bring that certainty and keep well, you Well, you moving. and I have even talked about a simple exercise of a line down the middle of the page and on the left side, what I can control and on the right side, what I can't and just yep. getting clear on that. And being okay with that you can't control yeah. everything, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We have found even the president of the United States can't control everything. No. There's no. nobody that has ultimate power. No. Um, so let's let's bring it back to a full circle here. Um, what what have we not talked about, Doctor Wood, that keeps you up at night right now in the realm of 
you know, mental health, trauma, uh, emotional concussions, and where we are right now on the journey. Like, what, what's, what's keeping you up at night? And I know a lot doesn't keep you up, but I, but I know you worry about other people. Yep. And, and what, 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 what gives you concern or pause for so many wonderful leaders out there who have just, they've just been through it. And, and so what, what have we not talked about that we need to discuss? I think the big thing, and, and, and I have talked about this, my wife and I have talked about it, is I'm concerned now that our savior has been this vaccine, which then brings back that the pharmaceutical industry is our savior, Mm. which is going to empower them to continue to make us dependent on pharmaceuticals. I don't believe we need to be. And so that just feeds into that frenzy of if there's something wrong with you, you need a drug, you need a medication. I think that we're also going to see a lot of drug use increase, a lot of problems like that. I think we're going to be dealing. Yeah. I think we're going yeah. to be seeing a lot. Those are the things that scare me. And then what are the repercussions of wearing masks for a year and a half, especially with children? Yeah. A great example is my wife went to her doctor for just a routine exam. She had her mask on. They put the pulse oximeter on her finger and they went, oh, your blood oxygen level is a little low. And my wife says, oh, hold on a second. She takes her mask down. She says, give me a minute. Boom, comes right back up. Wow. Yeah, that is not healthy to be not breathing in oxygen at that level. Well, and also, you know, even from a social perspective, you know, micro expressions here uh, when those are concealed, like those are some of the most important micro ex- uh, expressions that we can have to assess friend or foe. And and what kind of semi conscious wiring have we done in how we view each other with exactly. those masks? I, yeah. you know. Know that we know that, and and it, you know, I'm like you. I, I again, I, I point to this iceberg behind me, and I think the more that we can know about our nature, the more mm-hmm. that we can appreciate what's below the waterline. Instead of just you know exporting our agency to big pharma or politicians, like it's on us to to understand how trauma works, to understand emotional temperature. You talked about regulating our state. What can we do? Um, to regulate our own state as we kind of navigate these crazy times. Like I said, I think the big thing is to start doing things, taking some actions, learning, educating yourself. That was the the best example. Because when yeah. you educate yourself, right, you start to feel empowered. Right. And, oh, yeah. okay. So learn what is going on. That's why, as you know, in the program, I take people through the first almost two hours is all science and education. It really is. Because as soon as, as, soon as the people hear that, they go, Wow, this makes so much sense. Yeah. yeah, there is nothing wrong with me. Of course, your mind's doing what it's doing. It's programmed to do that. Yeah. yeah. No, so it's I, not I, doing I, anything I, wrong. It's, it's protecting you. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about how we can, um, folks watching this, how they can connect with you. Tell us a little bit about your program and how they can find you. Um, yeah. So if you go to our site, I think, it's, I think what they're using right now is gettip, G-E-T-T-I-P-P.com. And so if you go to that site, you'll see the information about our program. So, or go to the Inspired Performance Institute. But Get Tip is where most of the information will be in terms of if you want to sign up or learn more about the program. Absolutely. And we'll put that in our show notes here as well, Doc. Anything that we didn't cover that we need to? And I think they're doing something for anybody who's listening to the program is doing a, uh, a special discount for your listeners. So oh. I think, is it slash, what are we doing after yours? We um, will get that know? in there. 
we'll I'll I'll have Wes put that in the show notes, and uh, we'll make sure that it's super prominent. Yeah, because we want as many people as possible to get the program and get the because help. Because it's so. very accessible. It's very accessible. It's very affordable. And, you know, I think you made an important point here. It's not just battlefield trauma or some uh, epic event in your life. It can be emotional concussions from childhood that have a loop now going in the brain where it's that that's not being resolved and it's preventing you from playing your highest game. And it's a real thing. It's a real thing. You know, I had a lady come in last week and uh, very, very successful. I mean, has everything. Her husband's a professional athlete, so they've got money. They've got everything going for her. And she had a very traumatic childhood. And she, when she heard the story that I talked about with my wife, she's just like, oh, my gosh, that's me. I, wow. I, I was experiencing My wife wasn't enjoying life the way she could be until we got her reset. Wow. And it was so funny because when I met my wife and she shared with me some of the traumas and things that she had dealt with, she swore me to secrecy. Her mm. worst nightmare was that everybody would know her story. Wow. <laughs> Everybody's knowing her story now. And look, you know, I call that she's okay with it. I call that the generosity of scars because yes. I, I do believe that there is a level of uh, self-actualization when we can repurpose our trauma in the service of others, you know, our struggles. Uh, I, th- I think that's the most generous thing we can do as leaders. And I, and I do believe, and, and my own journey has been part of that, that we are trauma. We can heal other people with, with our own trauma and narrative. Um, but it's, it takes some work. And, and that's the beauty about what you're doing as well, because people look at you and they'll go, oh, this guy, you know, he's fearless. I mean, look what he did. How in the world? And yet you had issues that needed to get addressed to get updated. And still that, that, that takes away all of that, you know, issue with it, Absolutely. which is what we've got. We've, we've got to stop making people feel like there's something wrong with them. I that's agree. why I say there's nothing wrong with anybody. Everybody's mind works perfectly fine, but it's looping through some of that old data. Yeah, and that's in that's creating the interference. All we need is a reboot, just update, just yeah. like a computer, so that we can get back in the game and and play at that level we were born to play and stay present. Absolutely, love it, Doc. Well, listen, yep. I can't thank you enough for being on. Uh, you, your beautiful family, all that you do for our veterans. For you know, um, you've helped my friends who are in in dire straits, and you've just always been there. So I just want to personally thank you for what you do. You're you really are. Uh, one of the good guys, and we're lucky to have you out there doing what you do. We'll make sure that everybody that we can get this thing to sees this, and uh, and hopefully, hopefully, you'll come back on the show again. Oh, 100%. And we'll take on some more stuff. So, really great having you, Doc. Well, thank you. I appreciate it and love working with you. So, all right, cool. All right. Well, thanks to everybody for watching another episode of Rooftop Podcast. Again, we'll put Doc's uh, contact information for the Inspire Performance Institute in our show notes. Uh, please go there and check it out. Whether you're a veteran, a first responder, a parent, um, a, a kid that's been scuffed up, uh, if, if there's something that's, that's holding you back and standing in your way from playing at your highest level, uh, the Inspire Performance Institute and Doc Wood and his team are phenomenal. And I, and I could speak with personal experience on that. So thanks for what you do, Doc. Thanks to everybody for watching and listening. And we will see you on the rooftop. Thanks, Scott.